Welcome back to the Peaked Too Early podcast. This is season four, episode 13 of the pod. I am your host, Blake Munchell. I'm joined by the ever lovely Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Um, it's very nice that you call me the ever lovely Oscar Saywell every time. I feel like I should reciprocate in some way. I'll have to think of one. Um, doing all good. It was a very exciting match day. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. How are you, Blake? I am doing pretty well, um, despite the weather taking a slight downturn. Uh, the last few days have been okay. So, you know, in the winter time, forty-five degrees is enough for me. Um, when that I'll be happy. Talking about turning weather and the winter. When is Hanukkah this year? Soon now? Tomorrow? Friday. Friday. Oh, Friday. Wow. Well, happy um, early Hanukkah. To you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, this is like a good time of uh, the year to have Hanukkah. Like, I feel yeah. like, you know, we get to celebrate a couple weeks before the rest of America, um, but not too early. The worst is when mm. it like runs over Thanksgiving. Yeah, that um, sucks. You want, you, want, you want some respite. This is a good time of year to have some respite, I will say. Um, Yes. Um, and with uh, this being episode 13, Oscar yeah, Saywell, I wanted to ask you uh, who you thought the unluckiest player in Prem history is. In Prem history? Damn. Yeah. Or, or just recent. Great Prem question. History. Because the history, you know, we're getting on 30 years. So. Um. That's a great question. I love that question. Um, let's say, let's say, who comes to mind really quick? Um, I have a couple. Players, you you have a couple players who yeah. maybe have missed out on like titles multiple times, but nothing comes to mind like that. Give me a couple. Give me a couple to spark my. Okay. First uh, comes. Steven Gerrard. Yeah, that's, of that's a good one. Slip. It's just total, you know, bad luck at a bad time. Um, you know, players slip all the time. Yeah, it's just, it happened to be, you know, the most horrific timing. Then my mind went to some of the most injury-prone players. Yeah. Uh, ever. Um and the the player that actually got me thinking about this was Reese James, who because I saw a statistic about him that over the past four years he's only been available for something like thirty yeah. percent of the That's games. crazy, jeez. Um, so he basically misses three out of four every four matches. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I was thinking of him as you know this worldly talent um who's still very young but is just getting decimated by injuries over and only over. 23 wild um the, the 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 player that comes to mind and he did play in the premier league but who comes to mind in general is actually michael ballack because doesn't he have like a crazy amount of runners-up medals so i know that like he came second with chelsea in like 07 he infamously did those in uh 
with by Leverkusen, that great Leverkusen side in the late 90s, early 2000s, he had a bunch of second place finishes with them. I think right. when he the was with Bayern, yeah. Um, and then Champions League, he definitely like played a Champions League final and didn't win it. Yep, to Real yeah. Madrid. There you go. Um, yeah, Balak had the back to back to back second place, which yeah, is the, horrible. the treble horrors. That's so sad. Uh, and then, yes, was given the name Never Cusin in English. Um, um, you, I mean, Never Cusin, of course, of course. You're, you're going to hate this one, but I, I would put, simply for the talent that he was, Jack Wilshere in the Premier League is up there. Because if Jack Wilshere had never been injured, or had, had even, even half the injuries, he, his career would have been totally different, I think. Because, I mean, what an incredible player he was in the day. Jack Wilshere's, yeah. That's, that's what um, I'm... Yeah, I'm blanking on his name. Who was the French midfielder for Arsenal in the 2010s? Diaby? Was it Diaby? Uh, Abu Diaby, right? Yeah, Abu Diaby. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, got a, he's got a sad one, too. Oh, um, who's the Spurs, the Spurs defender? Uh, English, damn, Ledley King, Ledley King. He he would have been one of the all-time. Some people still say he's one of the all-time Premier League great defenders, but I think he would have been far and away one of the best defenders ever to grace the Premier League and one of England's best if he had avoided injury, which he could not. Yeah, he's a one-club yeah. man. One-club man. Three hundred appearances for. Yep. Tottenham. Could have been way more. Um, Although he did go yeah. to the 2010 World Cup, which is kind of crazy. He had 21 caps for England. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. It, yeah. Looking oh, at his uh, Wikipedia, it's just like this season was ended by injury. Mm-hmm. Good end of the next season. This ended was <laughs> ended yeah. by injury. Yeah. No, it's sad. What about the... I mean, we don't have to spend too much more time on this. What about the flip? Can you think off the top of your head someone who's like super lucky? That's kind of hard. Yeah. I feel like. Um. Oh, I was just thinking about them. I guess uh, it's someone bad who's had a lot of success, but like that's I don't know. I feel like that's really difficult. That is really difficult. I was just uh, on one of the broadcasts earlier. They were talking about a player who just straight up he never misses matches. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And I guess yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I can't remember who. Yeah. Well, um, oh, Nathan Dyer. Do you remember Nathan Dyer? Of course. Yeah, he won the Premier League with Leicester because he joined yep. them on loan and made like 12 appearances. That's lucky because he was never like, you know, nowhere, absolutely nowhere near being good enough to win like the Premier League. Decent player back in the day, though. Anyway. Um, Blake. Yeah, phenomenal who, match. A phenomenal two match days. We actually missed. Yeah, who 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 was lucky and unlucky in the Premier League? Uh, okay, the past well, couple of match days. We're in the midst of one right now because West Ham play tomorrow. Actually, do you guys play tomorrow too? Yep. Yeah, there you go. Not against each other though. Thank God, because we would get turned aside. But um, lucky Arsenal snatching from snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. My God, what a game this was though. Um. Right? Yes, lucky Manchester United 
against Newcastle that it wasn't any more than 0-1 because yeah, they got slaughtered. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, and honestly, after watching the match this afternoon, um, very, very lucky Aston Villa. Are you, are you sure? They dominated the match, but yeah. it came down, or I guess unlucky for Manchester City. Okay. Um, yeah, Aston Villa dominates the match, and then just a really shit, massive deflection, you know, kind of tarnishes it being one of the best games of really? the season. City yeah, was a phenomenal winless match. in four. Yeah, that's what my brother said too. I didn't watch it. I actually watched the Chelsea Man U match, which is uh, it's a rarity for us that we've we've sort of we've watched two different things. That's good. Um, Man U Chelsea match was also very very entertaining, mainly because both those sides are pretty bad, and so therefore we're just playing the most chaotic football imaginable. Um, but Blake, where do you want to start? You mentioned you mentioned that that Arsenal. You know, four three from yesterday. Maybe we should start there because, um, as as Premier League matches go, as as narratives go, it doesn't get much better than that. Well, it does get much better, and it would if the scoreline was flipped the other way around. Um, True. It sucked, man. Watching Arsenal in those awful zebra kits. Um, it is quite a bad. It's just kit. like t- two awful things: the zebra kit plus the vomit green. Yeah. Um, I don't get it. I don't. You know, the a lot has been said about Newcastle. Like next year, our spe- our kit uh, manufacturer will be Adidas again. Uh-huh. Um, like harkening back to the '90s and early 2000s, where we had some of the best kits out there. But if this is what Adidas is putting on. You, you know, don't for them, Premier League yeah. teams. Uh, yeah, I, I swear to God, if they give us something that looks like this. Um, it is pretty horrendous. It, I, I guess the first talking point of this match is uh, Ross Barkley's return. Yeah, man. Um, I'm glad you mentioned this. His, his first goal in three years in the Premier League? Since yeah, 2020? Sure. Like during and uh, the... Yeah, I think his last goal in the Premier League was in 2020 with no fans. Um, That's crazy. And for a sweet two minutes, it looked like it was <laughs> going to give them a winner over uh, Arsenal. Um, yeah. But uh, that man, Kai Havertz, lucky to still have a career if we're talking about lucky, oh unlucky. God. Oh my God. Um, and then also lucky, your. Sideways pass merchant. Oh, Lover boy Declan Rice with a 97th minute game winner. What a oh. header, though. What a header. Incredible header. It, it, it was coming. It, it, yeah, it, it was. Just, yeah. yeah. It, I, like, I could tell by watching. I was like, yeah, it's yeah. going to happen any second now. De- Declan uh, Rice once again proving that your Hayden versus Rice take is the all-time worst take. Of honestly anything, never mind football, just in in terms of takes, all time wise. Um, West Ham fans joking that Arsenal should be giving us another hundred million for Declan Rice, but um, yeah, I mean he's the the biggest takeaway I had from that, honestly, is is just the Bellingham Rice combination for the Euros. Knock on a lot of wood, given they're both fit, will be something pretty formidable. Yeah, midfield three. Uh, put Phil Foden in the ten, and 
that's you're pretty filthy. Mm. Um, or honestly, even Kane play two strikers. Play Kane, Kane in the ten. Deeper. Oh, get Blake Munchell in. Never mind Southgate. What a tactical I think any genius. yeah any of us would be more qualified. Um, um I wanted to shout. Out, okay, okay, go ahead. No, go. I I was gonna ask you a more overarching question. Okay. So if you have something pretty specific. No, I just I want to talk about Gabriel Jesus, but we can we can pin that for a second. Ask me a question. You know, ignore the fact that Luton threw away this game, you yeah. know, and absolutely bottled it. Um, did their performance in this match convince you, or at least change your opinion slightly, that they do have the wherewithal to stay in the Premier League this season? Uh, compared to the start of the season and the stuff that I not um, obviously not just me and you, but like everybody was saying, oh, absolutely, like my opinion has changed. Um, and I honestly, I think Luton are fascinating because we everybody said at the beginning of the season that their home fixtures were going to be um, absolutely crucial for them, and you know it has. It it has turned out that way. When you when you dig into their games this season and you and you look at where they've got their points, you you see that at home is where the, they've you know done the best. So uh, you know the first points they got in the Premier League was a one one draw at home to Wolves. Um, you see them sort of only losing by slight margins against Everton and Tottenham uh, at home. You see them um, you know getting their first. Win at home against Palace uh, just a couple match days ago, so um, you know that that's a big deal for them. Um, the performance they put in yesterday was genuinely incredibly impressive, and you know I actually think that you know obviously it's sort of deserve they deserve to get something out of it. I think it, you could it feels silly doing it. You could give some credit to Arsenal for not rolling over in, in that atmosphere. I think, uh, you know, a, a few years ago, they would have done exactly that. This would have been the game ripe for them to lose, you know, when, when the teams around them up, uh, you know, at the top of the Premier League are uh, dropping points. But they, they showed a different type of resilience. But, but to bring it back to Luton, yeah, uh, I, I think that they, they have to take a, a lot of heart from this, especially going into these fixtures. They got City up next at home. How sensational would that be if they if they took more points off City? Um, Bournemouth is a big game. They're up against you guys right before Christmas. Then they've got Sheffield on Boxing Day. Um, you know, it, it's it's not do or die yet for Luton, but but these are the games that that you know the the will will show will show us what they're made of. Um, and I just think a ton of credit has to go to Rob Edwards because you know they Luton came into the Premier League not expecting much, but he's kept it so calm and it's like the polar opposite of what we saw. And I'm sure we'll talk about them in this pod with Paul Heckingbottom and Sheffield United, who, who just withered under the bright lights and, and Luton have just kept it consistent. Um, we've not seen many big blowouts at all. Um, really, I can't even think of, of a huge blowout off the top of my head. I think they lost fairly heavily to Chelsea. Um, they were turned aside by Villa, but who isn't? Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, I'm impressed. Um, uh, do you think that they'll stay up? Or have you changed your mind somewhat? Or, you know, is this sort of going to be a scrap to the end? I just think that 
no matter what, Everton and Burnley are better squads than, than Luton. Luton. Yeah. And so I think one of them can pip Luton. Um, you know, and, you know, p- another part of it is like, as good as Luton has been on the pitch, it, I've, you know, been exposed more and more to just like the crumminess off the pitch. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Like I told fans. you. Yeah. They suck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, I knew about like the English Defense League and all that kind of stuff, yeah. but um, like homophobia and transphobia oh, God, and racism. Yeah. No, it's horrible. Um, That's terrible people. Who? It's, I it's mean, been uh, a lot yeah. harder for me to kind of root for them as an underdog. Um, oh, absolutely. And then throw on top of that that they gift a game to Arsenal. That at least uh, it keeps at least it keeps City at bay. That's that's the only silver lining I have. I mean, no, on the Luton fans, you're absolutely right. And it, it has been somewhat surprising to me that people have rallied behind them so much because they, yeah, they are a notoriously unpleasant fan base. And, you know, it takes a special brand of fan. You know, the, the entire stadium was screaming wanker at Bukayo Saka. I mean, come on. Of all the, play- of all the Arsenal players, screaming out at Bukayo Saka? Like, come on, guys. Um... Yeah, I, I I've never been as as sort of uh, bullish on 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 them as others either. Um, and I, the only thing I would push back on, I I disagree. I think they are probably. I honestly think they're better than Burnley right now. I regardless, maybe maybe Burnley have some better players in the squad, but I think they're better drilled than Burnley. Everton, I think, are much better than them. So I, I could see Everton being the one that would will swiftly move away from them. But I don't know. You're looking at Forest just lost heavily today to Fulham. Cooper on the brink, right? Um, only four points ahead of Luton. Four losses on the spin. Yeah, you know, they've got, they've got a chance. Yeah, I guess it is unfair to uh, talk about Everton in the same vein as these clubs because it, has, it involves the point deduction. Yeah. Um, like they have as many wins as Wolves yeah. in fifth. Uh, right, or sorry, in thirteenth, yeah. um, with five. Um, so yeah, I guess more we should be talking about Forest and Burnley. Um, but yeah, I I think you know over the course of a season, if your squad has better players, you have a much better chance of staying up. Um, right. And so that's why I am hesitant to you know, to pick Luton over Burnley. Um, I. Can I can I hop in for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I'm just curious. I think we we should talk about it just because, um, as I mentioned, Sheffield United just you know they lost heavily to Burnley um, on on the weekend and subsequently let Paul Heckingbottom go. Sheffield United have been genuinely tragic. Um, in the league so far this season. And they've just brought in Chris Wilder. They brought Chris Wilder back. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on that. Cause I'm curious. Um, do you think there's any hope for Sheffield United to, to be in contention to stay up or is this just too much for them? I, I guess it has to be, will they be better under Wilder? Probably. Yes. Because, you know, a ton of their squad is the same squad that was around when he was still there. Um, 
plus right. so like automatically you know players know him players know what he has been able to do with Sheffield United um I'm sure there's a ton of respect remaining there um and then two you know when you're one win on the season after 15 games played yeah. and you start to lose the the edge in the locker room you know a return of a well-liked figure is certainly going to help glue over a lot of the cracks um yeah. so I think there definitely will be improvement, but I think we saw from Chris Wilder's last stint at Sheffield United, he isn't this like magic savior of a emergency appointment. Um, yeah. That he's just going to, you know, sh- he's probably going to shore up things defensively, but, um, you know, his underlapping center back te- yeah. tactics that he took. The Premier League by storm with is now what every single Premier everyone League does team it. does. Yeah. So yeah. Uh you know, you can only be the genius one time. Uh and then Unless you're Pep. after that, you your old news. Um Yeah, maybe. Hey, no wins in four. Pep is Pep out, bald frog. Uh, it's true, Pep bald frog. Well, I mean, just on Chris Wilder, right? He he's had a really, really bad time of it since since leaving yeah. Sheffield United yeah. in um in, in twenty twenty one. He he's had two absolutely tragic spells at Middlesbrough and Watford um two clubs that are fairly difficult to to you know to sort of steady and and to thrive at but but yeah I mean properly properly bad um so I'm I'm curious to see if he's sort of still got it which seems harsh for a guy who was absolutely as you said innovative and and sensational for for years at Sheffield United before um Chris Wilder Blake how old is he uh 5 53 Chris like, Alder, is he's 56 and yeah he looks look, he's one of those guys who looks like he's like 70 um, yeah um, i'm so sorry i mean no you know it's a small podcast nobody's listening to us I'm, and i know it's mean he looks terrible for 50 i mean pep guardiola is close to that age like what is going on yeah chris Alder? you know he comes from a time yeah. where he hasn't uh, know, he hasn't put on any sunscreen ever in his life I yeah i think absolutely so uh, but yeah yeah um yeah, he's, from, he's from the midlands right he is from yes he no no he's from sheffield okay he's from like stocksbridge which i think is up there I I could check my geography. I'm doing it right now. Yes, it is in Sheffield in South Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, Chris Wilder. We don't. We'll see how he does. What were you I say? do think it is probably the best appointment they can yeah. get in. Yeah, I can't I, imagine anyone else taking the job. I mean, so what I think is interesting, right, is like if you're Sheffield United and you're the basement dwellers. You're probably going to go down anyway. You're going to get those parachute payments, which you desperately need because they have no money. Do you pluck some sort of 36-year-old prodigy from the Bundesliga, like backroom staff, and see what what happens? Or is that just silly? Like, I don't know. Like, what's what what do you what do you look for at that point? Like, because I think it they they can generate interest and revenue through just being a sort of chaotic side that like has taken a punt on some young thing that 
has freaky ideas for how football should be played. And sometimes I wonder whether like that would at least give the fans some sort of pride and excitement if they're if they're the talking point for a for a reason that is not oh you know they have five points and it's it's December. Yeah, so I will say this is an approach that American football has seen taken in recent years. Mm. Um, It has pretty much gotten to the point where if you have ever not succeeded in the NFL, you're never going to get a job ever again. Um, And so pretty much everyone is taking, you know, just the hot, you know, 34 year old was never a player. um, It was like an analyst, you know, T- taking punts because a lot of the recent success the NFL has seen uh, ha- has been coming from these guys who either have like failed college football careers right. uh, and decided to start coaching really early um, or are like the guy who was the intern to one of the greatest head coaches of right. all time and then worked his way up and is so he's like 33 and um, right. is now getting a head coaching job and we are seeing it blow up in some team spaces, but for the most part, the best coaches in the NFL right now are all youngsters. Um, which is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have my hesitancies. Um, like, yeah, I understand like, sure. Why doesn't Sheffield United just, you know, promise some man city backstaffer, you know, like the, I don't know, the wingers coach, you know, just a random, like, oh, Man City always produces great attacking midfielders. Let's poach their attacking midfield coach. Um, yeah. I get it, but at the same time, there seems to be that hesitancy in football to stray away from the old guard. Um, like, even though... Yeah advanced analytics and all this stuff is taking over, we still see the same teams going back to the same old managers over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, even when they're like really intelligently run, you know, smart football teams, they still are, you know, hiring dudes who had success in the nineties. Um, right. Right. I will say if you, if all you want is the commercial side of things, you, why not sign a, you know, like an American coach because you will, yeah. and you know, in January sign two or three Americans and you know, you're set for, you know, you're set for quite a while, you know, sign Daryl DK sign, you know, Darryl just like DK. championship level, yeah. Brendan yeah. Aronson, um, sure. you know, get those guys in. Who's actually at uh, Bournemouth. Brendan Aronson. Yeah, man. Right. I thought he was at, Union he's Berlin. in he's at Union Berlin. I'm thinking of yeah. Tom Adams. That's who I'm thinking of. Um My bad. but yeah, basically do, pick a big market, just get a manager from that that, that nation, you know? Get get yeah, an yeah. Indian head coach in, get a Chinese head coach in, yeah, yeah, Indonesian head coach in, or American head coach in. Um sure. and you know, just clamp down on that market. Or you know, Japanese get the Japanese market. Get one of these dudes who have so much success in the Japanese league. Although and I guess they have a lot of, yeah, they have a lot of non-Japanese managers. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, just like fuck it, you know, if you sack yeah. Chris Wilder later this year, 
you know, why not do something just for the marketing, just for the, you know, and, and, you know, just stick with him for a year in the championship. Yeah. um, And see what can happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, are you surprised at all that Paul Heckingbottom is the first sacking of the year? I'm surprised after last year that it's taken this long. That I'd be really curious. Main... Right. Like, yeah. I'd be really curious to know why that's the case. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, like, why it's different. Um, who, you know, no, I, have, I don't have many thoughts on that. Because um, obviously we've seen it happen with, you know, the success story is obviously Mikel Arteta, right? Mikel Arteta had uh, some absolutely terrible patches um, uh, with Arsenal, and now, and now look at him go. Um, but obviously that was years ago, and since then we have not seen other clubs follow suit. Um, so I, I guess I admire it, but at the same time it sort of seems like, damn, like, you know, Sheffield United have five points and they are bottom of the league and it's december 6th and it's like they were horrible two months ago so couldn't they have done this two months ago um i'm not sure i'm not sure how to feel about it um but i think that it might open some floodgates for example uh steve cooper i mean there's been questions about steve cooper for ever since they came up last year and it's kind of harsh i guess in some ways because he's done a great job with them, um, taking them from relegation candidates and championship to, to the Premier League. But they've also spent a lot of money. And, and this defeat to Fulham was really bad um, today, 5-0. Um, I, I wouldn't be super surprised if, if, they, if they lose to, far, to Wolves on the weekend. I think he'll be gone. Yeah, I also... I can't imagine... But yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard because, you know, let's look at Areola at Bournemouth, right? Like at the beginning of the season, everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? You know, and then, you know, all we oh, hear yeah. about him is that he, he did this in- incredible work in, in La Liga, which he absolutely did. But then Bournemouth were bad, at, like for a long time. And it's only it's literally only I mean. I'm looking at them right now, up even up until God, I mean, three 0 loss to Everton, lost to Wolves, turned aside by Arsenal, you know, they you know, losses losses everywhere. Like they barely picked up points. And then they randomly beat you, right, after losing six one to City. And then they've beaten Sheffield United and, and picked up a point against Villa, which is impressive. And, and they've just beaten Palace today. And so suddenly they have 16 points, well clear of the relegation zone, and, and there you go. Um, it's, it's, we say it every single season, it's a strange league. And who I don't think anybody has the correct answer because it's, sometimes it just seems like it's up to fate, like whether something works or not, whether you stick or twist. Yeah. Um... And I also think a reason why a lot of these sides are not sacking their managers is because there's really not anyone out there. You know, like who's going to be sacking why? their managers well, that's so they can appoint Hecking Bottom? That's you know? true. That's so, true. Well, I, I mean, like uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You either have to, you know, be willing to sack the devil you know for the devil you don't know. Um, I mean, and, Graham, you know, like Potter's waiting in the side wings but 
Yeah, I, I think people are scared to touch to take a punt on him. I, I think yeah. he's scared to take a job as well, right? Because he's really got to get it right next time. Um, I'm going to make a segue here that's related because I want to hear you talk about it anyway. Um, I know they just won today, but uh, Man United constantly a club in crisis, despite the fact they have a very good record in the Premier League right now. Um, Eric Ten Hag has apparently lost the dressing room. We've been hearing this for the past couple of weeks. He admitted himself in an interview that some of the players had questions about his tactics. Um, they have just this week banned several media outlets from their press conferences, which, if anything, smacks of you have control over proceedings. Uh, outright banning journalists uh, is not one of them. Um, uh, Eric Ten Hag, obviously not going to get sacked. But uh, talk to me about, you know, Man United's last couple of weeks, because they were terrible against you and then uh, just won today. So what's going on? Well, I mean, this is the the cause behind their conflated league position is because they've been shitting the bed against, you know, top seven teams and they beat the teams below them. And right, right now, Chelsea are one of the just utter yeah. shit teams Bad that are teams, below them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is what Man, Man U have been doing all year long. Winning by one goal against really bad teams. Um, but let's rewind a couple days. Let's go back to Saturday. Where I feel like if you wanted a microcosm of Manchester United season, you could look at this match and learn so much. Right. Um, utter domination. Um, Honestly, Onana, you know, bailing them out. This is the type of match where Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire looked like super competent defenders. Harry Um, Maguire was excellent. Excellent. Yes, Harry Maguire. Yes. Kept a clean sheet for for Manchester United. uh, Scoring, not conceding. Um, But uh, pretty much, you know, top to bottom. Manchester United a club that when they're under pressure tends to crumple. Newcastle put it like, you know, outside of football, inside of football, Newcastle pressured the hell out of their midfield and Manchester United could do absolutely nothing. You know, there are these parallels of them on the pitch and them off the pitch. There is Rashford, you know, just walking, uh, walking back to defend, which he got, you know, absolutely slated for and, you know, dropped to the bench for uh, uh, their win yeah. today. Um, he just looks like mentally he's not there at all. Yeah. He's just yeah. completely in his own world. He he gets subbed. He throws all his gear. He's muttering on the bench. Um, yeah. You you have Anthony Martial and Eric Ten Hag screaming at each other from on the pitch. That Eric uh, Anthony Martial is asking, "What am I supposed to be doing?" Uh, which is you know not a great thing for. Uh, yeah you know, a player to be asking during a game. Um, I, you know, have, you know, I try to take in after a really bad loss for Newcastle's opponent. I try to take in as much media content from the other side as possible. Like I love the right. schadenfreude of like, you know, Manchester United them players. Yeah. yeah. Like absolutely melting down. Um, but there are a few things that I quite agreed with. Um, one being, if you're Aaron Wan-Bissaka, 
are you not like going back into the dressing room and just getting in Marcus Rashford's face and like screaming at him like what the hell are you doing like leaving me yeah so alone. exposed all game I have to run my heart out covering two great players three great players because you're not willing to defend for this team um and then um just all the other stuff you know like Bruno Fernandes like you know when the going gets tough and he's just throwing himself on the floor and the referee is just looking at him telling him to get up um as Newcastle has sending like six or seven players right. you know to all come screaming in at Onana so i i just i feel like everything about this match showed Manchester United's issues um, right and you we you watched this match and you saw the goal and you saw right. how easy it was you know so easy ridiculous training ground yes that is truly that is the type of goal you only score when you know you're playing a really bad side like in my teams you know that the the two teams i play on most of the time when our games are really tough you know it's a scrappy goal that is going to go in um or you know like a a wonder goal, you know, a great solo effort, a great shot placement, that kind of thing. But when we come up against like the one team in our league who is the 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 house team made of all the free agents, yeah, this is the type of goal that you know we beat them fourteen to three. Um, yeah, you know, we're just doing this over and over and over again. So, you know, that's what that's what it was. Um, and Whoa. Manchester United are so lucky to get away with this scoreline. Just a 1-0, yeah. I mean, and then, honestly, in no small part, thanks to Maguire putting in a pretty good performance, I thought. Um, what do you think of Anthony sort of off the back of that game and, and right before the match today saying that um, he's sick of of uh, the clubs of Manchester United's ex-players um, not supporting the current players, not reaching out to ask if they're okay or giving them any constructive advice this is after gary neville went in on them on the weekend uh, which he's want to do fair enough because they were terrible but what do you what do you think of that um you know do you do you think that that ex-players have an obligation to to defend their sort of former sides and no no the, yeah any yeah i think that's like the biggest loadish crap you know right like one you know, that's, first of all, you know, sports journalism, you know, and I say this, I have two journalists in my family who I love very deeply, um, but, you know, they're not sports journalists, but sports journalism specifically is at such a low point, um, yeah. or I guess who we call sports journalists. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. like, you know, anyone who's talking to a camera is considered or who has a podcast or who has a blog is considered a journalist you know these guys these x-man you they talk shit about man you because it drives the clicks that drives the revenue that makes manchester united the biggest club in the world i'm sure manchester united loves you know rio ferdinand losing his head about how piss poor man you is yeah um it's a great point. You know, because yeah. it, it probably makes them a couple million bucks, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, at the core nature of what they're supposed to be, no, they don't have any obligation to, like, support players. Um, 
you know, just because that's not what that's not where the money is. That's not what right. they're supposed to do. But on top of everything else, you know, like you like if I got, you know, if I work for a, a place for 10 years and then I go to another job, you know, it's not my job to like constantly prop up the dude who replaced me. Like, yeah, I would say it's yeah. explicitly not my job to do that. Um, and while there is like a place for some, you know, mentorship, you know, like I get, I, I get, you know, why a player like Steve Bruce would have a close relationship with Harry Maguire. Um, there isn't like a necessity to defend or a necessity, like a, a, right, right. a guarantee that they have to support you. Um, you know, I'm sure Manchester United has the, the means and the where, you know, the resources to provide all these players with all the support they ever need. And if right. they wanted to, they just ha- could hire Rio Ferdinand, you know, stick him, say once a week you come in and you talk to these players. So, um, I think just generally, it's a weird comment. I get like the frustration behind it, but certainly there's no necessity for these players to do this kind of thing. That actually yeah. got me thinking. Um, who for Anthony specifically? Who would be the former Manchester United Brazilian player that could take him under their wing? Um. Uh, Nani. He's Portuguese. Damn, He's Portuguese. that was bad. But the only um, one I can think of is um, Rafael, the former. Yeah. Right um, yeah. Damn. Andreas Pereira. He's still playing. Cleberson. Yeah. Cleberson. Yeah. Maybe. But what about um, you? Do you think? Do you think there's like a responsibility of ex-players to? Oh God! God no. Of course not. I just think it's interesting that we we complain. Yeah, no. Uh, I think it was just an interesting comment from him. Um, he actually wrote a letter that was put in the in the in the you know how they do the the match day like pamphlets, the brochures. Yes. Yeah. So he he wrote a letter. Or I mean, I'm sure he didn't fucking write a letter, but his PR team or whatever wrote a letter on his behalf, and Manchester United put it in the brochure. Um, so I just thought I thought that was interesting, right? Like I think it maybe says something again. God, we say it all the time about the internal strife in the club, um, and just sort of how how there's just a complete lack of structure and communication and et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I I, I you know no, I I completely agree with what you're saying, and and in fact, I, I think it's way worse when ex players are sycophantic, right, and just refuse to. Arsenal Arsenal's ex players are completely guilty of this. Paul Merson and god and they they just they can they are incapable of saying anything negative about about arsenal or or the current players or whatever um so i mean that's boring right um so i'd much rather they're they're, they're critical but no I, your points i think were super astute and i, I particularly like the one where you sort of hypothesize that that the you know manchester united probably like it when gary neville goes on a rant because it gets some clicks and it gets some views and to get some money um um i yeah. do have a question for you uh-huh is there any player at a former player at west ham who is like known for taking current players under their wing even though they don't have to well 
Noble, yes. But he works for the club, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he works for the club. Carlton Cole. Um, Carlton Cole's done some coaching for us. It's light coaching, but he's known for trying... I mean, maybe it doesn't say much for his mentorship. Trying to take uh, West Ham strikers under his belt. I know he's worked with... Or he's friends with Antonio and sort of actually weirdly had a good relationship with Marco Anatovic, even though he's an arsehole. Um, yeah, I can't call. Um, is it is 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 my shout there? Yeah, I say that because uh, Alan Shearer is like super right, famous yeah. for taking pretty much anyone under his wing at Newcastle, um, which is pretty cool, you know. Yeah, I doubt there's yeah. many clubs where oh, super cool. undoubtedly their greatest player of all time is still so involved, still even though he's involved, not yeah. on the payroll. Um, yeah. Uh, so then let's flash forward to this Chelsea Man U game, yeah, which just, was entertaining. Wrapped, yeah. I had this one on mute on the television while I was, was watching really the other one on my iPad. Well, that's dedication. Um, yeah, you know, there's so many like you never know, you know what you're gonna get. Yeah. So, uh, that's why I like simulcast uh, because you know you kind of get to pay attention to where the action is. Were you were you uh, also working at the same time, or were you taking a break? Uh, I have a ton of comp time built up. Uh, so, uh, excellent. I'm living the life right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, plus, it's the end of the year, so I have to start burning my leave. Uh, yeah. So. Jeez. Yeah. Um, the this match was all right. It was pretty frustrating, was, honestly. Really, um, I, I, I thought I thought it was for, entertaining because they for were a bad. few things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. And entertaining, yes, but still frustrating. Um, you know, sure. frustrating leading to some of the entertainment. Um, tons of storylines in this. You know, like the renaissance of Scott McTominay. Yeah, you I have, want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. You have Cole Palmer finally proving he's not just a penalty kick merchant. Fine. You have um honestly like so Chelsea's own blunders I think are a whole talking point. Um but specifically uh Raheem Sterling throwing himself to the ground yeah. in a horrendous flop when yeah. he had beaten the man and can just take one more step and take the shot on his I left. Know. I know, yeah, which is know. the whole idea of playing him on the right wing, anyways. Um, you have Nico Jackson doing whatever the hell that was when he gets played through one on one. You have Moise Caicedo looking like one tenth of the player he was at Brighton. Um, I thought Crazy. he was pretty piss poor. Yeah. Um, and you also, like, on top of everything, you know, man, you left left the door open for Chelsea um, many, many times. So um, what were your thoughts on this match? Yeah, the, the main takeaway I had was it was a, a poor quality game and therefore um, very entertaining. Uh, the, the thing that I was, you know, especially in the first half, the midfield was for both sides was literally just non-existent, which is ridiculous for Chelsea, given how much money they've spent on it. Um, and I, you know, the talking points for the match were Reese James being benched, were people, Man U fans were losing their minds that uh, Kobe Minu was benched. I was like, leave that kid alone, he he's horrific. 18. 
And he, he was, was terrible. Against Newcastle. Yeah, because yeah. he's 18. Like, come on. Like, that was weird. I was like, Eric Ten Hag made the right call there. Like, he's not ready to play against Chelsea. Like, come on. Um, the biggest, yeah. For me, Scott McTominay, he, he's been Manchester United's best midfielder this season. I don't even understand, like, the renaissance. Like, people saying that... I think I think... I think the commentators today even sort of said, made some sort of reference to him, like, having a resurgence. And I'm like, am I missing something? Like, when when is he... He just gets criticized for no reason. Like, I don't ever see him having a dreadful game. And then he does stuff like this, where it's like, he's basically their best player anyway. Like, I think Scott McTominay is, like, very undervalued by Manchester United. Um, and... Un misunderstood by the broader sort of like Premier League fandom. Um, this is why I was going so hard for him to come to West Ham. I was praying he would come to West Ham. He's a great player. Um, and he's he's everything mentally that Bruno Fernandes thinks he is. Right? Like Scott McTominay is actually the guy who will G up those around him, who will stay calm under pressure, who is a baking player. That's everything Bruno Fernandes thinks he is, but he's not. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I I think it's time that Scott McTominay actually gets his flowers, not just when he pops up and scores these like important goals, because he's like a good player. I I, I don't really get that. But Sofian Amrabat, holy shit, he's so bad. Like, what happened? Like, he was so good for Morocco. He was so great for Fiorentina. Honestly, he just needs to terminate his loan and go back to Fiorentina, because it's really sad seeing a player yeah, that's like exciting and being so bad. I do think that it's interesting that you brought that up because I think of all the Sofian Amrabat appearances for Manchester United, I think this was one of his better ones. Yeah, I think there were a way. couple of times where, which, you know, low bar and whatnot, but yeah. um, I did think there was a couple of times where he did himself some justice, you know, covering some of Scott McTominay's weaknesses. And so, sure. you know, this is why... Scott McTominay seemed a little bit better is because no, you know, there's like a dedicated M right behind him that's helping clean up um, and hassle attackers. Although Chelsea certainly made it easy enough for them to defend. Um, yeah. It yeah. just, yeah. Sophie and Emmerbet, I think he is, you know, the player who, it, it happens every World Cup, you know. Um, Oh, so every World Cup. It's yeah. the purple patch right at the right form, is doing phenomenally for their yeah. country, gets snapped up by some big club and you know can't perform. And it's funny. Uh, what you mean usually... was 2018, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's usually one of these two clubs, Chelsea or Man U, who does the snap uh, up. So um, uh, that's a good point. So Sergio Regulon. Sergio Regulon is weirdly quite good for Manchester United. Thoughts on that? I I'm confused by this one. Uh, I think he. I don't know if I'd call him good. He's okay. I think that's yeah. my. Well, he's certainly he's better in... for Man U than he ever was for Tottenham. Okay, yeah, sure, I agree with that. Which, um, which is quite impressive, given that I don't think Tottenham, even at their worst, were more badly run than Man U are, or more chaotic. I'm, I'm curious to see what his tra trajectory is, because in a weird way, I would, I back. Ange Postacoglu to turn basically any player into a good player. And so if he goes back and Ange is still there, he could actually be quite useful, I think. Because he's got 
some decent traits. And he's, you know, getting to a good age now. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Yeah, I think he's just like an okay player, you know? Yeah. Um, My question for you about this match is... So, Manchester United have this issue in midfield, you know, where they're they're experimenting Kobe Mainu. Um, You know, he's made like two appearances this year, already benched. Uh, Meanwhile, on the bench, they still have Donny van de Beek. Yes. Do you think we're ever going to see him appear in other than like a bit rate appearance for Manchester United before he leaves? Probably this. Uh, no, we're never going to see him in anything other than than yeah, barely ever playing for them. I, Donny Van der Beek is now officially. I mean, he's still young enough to turn it around. It's officially one of the saddest. Like. He's been at Manchester United since 2020. And it we are T-minus like 25 days away from 2024. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy um, that he's he's 26 now. He's been there since he was a young player. And he's made uh, 30-something appearances for them in, in close to four years. Um, seeing ridiculous stuff like his team is offering themselves to Barcelona... Uh, I just, ugh, I I can't believe that he didn't manage to get out in the summer. And you just worry honestly about him as a player, uh, like literally playing football at this point. Um, never mind like even going down to play at a lower level. Um, this one makes it just it makes me sad. I honestly, and no, we won't see him. Um, play for Manchester United because if he's not getting in front of Kobe Mainu, um then he's not getting in front of anyone. Yeah, very fair. Yeah, I think yeah, one of the tragedies of, uh, yeah, you know, uh, just our man, last couple like, of years, horrible. I mean, honestly, at this point, Ajax have stabilized themselves. He should just go back there. And try and I'm sure he would he would he would probably thrive again there. He just needs to go back. He needs to. He should go to like F- Fallen Dom, you know, like one of the bottom teams. And just, Jesus, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, this was the thing in the summer. It almost made me question like, what what's going on like behind the scenes? Is it either like he's done something really bad, or they know like the medical stuff that I'm sure the clubs like. I mean, obviously they don't share with each other, but. The medical stuff that must go around is he like like seriously broken like something is really really wrong with him um because he couldn't even get a move to like i mean there were several teams that that were try like he couldn't get a move anywhere that seems ridiculous to me um so i don't know man i don't know i don't i don't think i've ever thought i can't think of a player who's bounce back from from this sort of like position that he finds himself in now yeah but i I guess if you're another team why would you take a chance on him you know when he's shown nothing in four years you know how do you unless you're truly desperate you know you're like but even on loan like man you were i think well they were willing to take most of his wages just to get him off the books i mean like you know yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose. Um, okay, 
let's move on from the sadness uh, factory that is Manchester United. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Aston Villa, sure. who now sit yeah, third let's, let's in the that. table after, uh, for, uh, what do you call it? Hopscotching? Hopscotching, hop-scotching. over Manchester City. Huh. Um, yeah. Leapfrogging. It was leapfrogging. There you go. Yeah. I knew it was something with a. A jumping action with a, with a jumping um, action. Yeah, Villa thoroughly dominated this match. Although Man City, yeah. Man City did have their their chances and their opportunities, but if you're just saying like who deserved to win this match, it was very clearly Aston Villa. You know, yeah, all the way to the top, all the way to the bottom. Aston Villa deserved to win this game. The and it, overall. Absolutely phenomenal match to watch. So much fun. Yeah. Um, really, really classy football being played. It is such a shame that it comes down to a deflected goal for the win. Yeah. It like I feel like if it was a normal goal, this goes down as, you know, a match that people talk about for the next few years. Really? Um, wow. When people just talk about like, oh, remember this match? This match was awesome. Um I feel like because it's a deflected goal, no one's going to remember this match. Yeah, I mean that's a shame. I, um, I, you know, I, I, my brother and my dad watched this match. They were raving about it over WhatsApp. You, you are really impressed by it. Um, I, I haven't even had time to watch the highlights, so I'm not going to speak on the game. But, um, you know, I think just the broader implications of this is what really interests me um, because. I'd looked at the stats. It's like Villa 22 shots, seven on target. City, two shots, two on target. Villa are at home. So, you know, we know how that goes. That helps. But I was sort of astonished when I saw Villa had, as you said, leapfrogged Man City in the table. Um, And I'm sort of wondering two things, right? Is this Aston Villa side the new sort of Newcastle of of uh of last year where you know we were all like oh my god they're actually going to get in the champions league or um was this more of a case of like city are just in a bit of a mini crisis and villa did just drop points to like bournemouth on the weekend and um yes they're doing incredibly well but they will eventually sort of regress a little bit um because in my head i don't know if this is crazy but villa aren't that much better than Tottenham or Newcastle. Um, crazy enough, I'd even throw Man United in there. Is that is that insane of me? I don't know. Maybe it's because, yeah, I don't know. I I think Villa are great. They're third in the table, but I don't see them as a shoe in by any means. Yeah, I yeah, I think they're much more of one of those. You know, the sum of the whole is better than the. The parts kind of thing. I think they just play good, good football. Um, and I think on top of everything else, right now they're very healthy. Um, so they sort of are taking advantage of that, which you know they should. Um, that's not a critique on Villa. Um, I think it's like a a perfect timing. You know, you have you know one of these managers who proves who has proved that he is undeniably one of the best managers in the world. Um, you have 
a squad that you have composed over the last few years. Um, so they're not all, you know, brand new this year. They they have chemistry with each other. Um, and then on top of all of that, you have lots of players who have been out for a very long time returning um, and, you know, returning to form as well um, for the couple of players who are who weren't out with injury. Um, so when we talk about, like, can they keep this thing up? I would say, like, yeah, why not? Because they haven't really been impacted by injuries this year. Um, I'm sure they'll deal with some, but for the most part, you know, they've been able to keep themselves healthy, uh, partially because they, the, the style of football they play, um, yeah, you know, um, they're, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, can they keep it up? Yes, I think they can. Um, they're an incredible team. Um, I think. You know, like Musa Diaby, you know, he was picking between Newcastle and Villa, and I get why Newcastle ended up going a different direction, uh, allowing him to go to Aston Villa. And I still think Musa Diaby, he would be nowhere near as good for Newcastle as he is for Villa, um, because I think he's just a really good fit for this style of football. But Musa Diaby is like that type of player who. I think could go on to be, you yeah. know, a top five winger uh, in the league. Oh, yeah. And right now he's not even starting every single game. They're still right. able to be super cautious with when and how they play him. So do you, uh, do you think the Nico Zaniolo experiment is done for Emery now? Yeah. What, what is starts the... ahead of him in this match? What is the standing on Zaniolo? Because he also oh for the is, betting stuff. Yeah, he's yeah he's. I think we're just on he, we're, we're we're on standby with him, and the crucial difference is that he is like adamant that he never bet on football. Got so it. Right. He so, yeah, he won't it. he won't be yeah he won't be like punished the same way. But he was the I one mean, right. He's the one who like I never bet on football, he, but Andrew Tonali okay, is the one yeah. who told me to do it. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, got it. I, I mean, yeah. Time. Yeah, I, I he's having trouble, Zaniolo, just in general anyway. Um and I think the the way that I mean, obviously he had those two knee injuries. The way he left Roma still hinted at personality troubles. Um and I think that you know Spalletti I saw uh, uh, just I don't remember where I saw it, but he made some reference to the fact that Zaniolo, every time like he's an attention seeker essentially, which feels mean, but like in the sense that I think Belletti basically said like he acts out uh, when he's at home and he's like really lonely at Aston Villa and that kind of stuff, which I don't blame him because you know. Being Italian and going to the Midlands by yourself, age 24, can't be easy. But yeah, the Zaniola stuff is, uh, I, I, think that, I think that's done. Because Yuri Tielemans, I think we were all quite surprised that he didn't, or at least I was quite surprised that he didn't 
sort of fit seamlessly into this villa side and he's being kept out and he was certainly surprised because he was mad about it but he's put in some good performances now and i, I was interested to see that he started this one um yeah just on villa i i don't know maybe this is like we should have a a, a little bit of a oscar versus blake bet about it and come back to it at the end of the season i, I think they're a really good side i know they're a great side i know unai emery is amazing um but something inside me sort of says, I don't think they're going to keep this up. Um, I think this sort of smacks of, honestly, I think this sort of smacks of West Ham. Um, that season where for a little bit, people were like, oh my God, never mind Europa League. They could get Champions League. And then we fell away toward the end of the year. Um, let's not forget that Leicester City, only th- like three years ago, under Brendan Rodgers, were doing the same thing. And I know that Villa are probably better backed financially, but I don't see much of a difference between the quality of their squad and the quality of that Leicester side. And I don't see much of a difference. This might be a hot take between. This is definitely a hot take between Brendan Rodgers as a manager, quality wise, and Unai Emery, which is probably crazy to say given Unai Emery has like a stacked trophy cabinet. But do you see what I mean? Like I don't. I think people might be getting ahead of themselves with Villa. Oh, that's fair. Um, I just I know guess, better than yeah. to speak ill of Aston Villa. Yeah, I know. They just too many times. It's just I don't know. They just they lost to Forest in in November. Yeah, they beat Fulham. That's fine. They beat Tottenham. That's pretty impressive. They drew to Bournemouth. Okay, and now they beat City, which is insane, right? And obviously they've had a great season. But like, I don't. I don't know. Like, I'm just not. I'm not as crazy about them as other people seem to be. You beat them 5-1 on the opening day. Like, that's... I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, first day of the season, wild things happen. Yeah, that's true. It's like the first day of the season, last day of the season. Yeah, those results don't don't count for anything. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, fair enough. So we'll see where Villa go. Um, I guess this is a good thermometer moment. Do you think Villa finish in the top four? No, no. Do you think they finish in the top six? I think, yeah. I mean, it feels crazy for me to say no to that because they they should. But I don't know. I feel I feel crazy, but I'm like, Man U are picking up points. Man U suck, but they are picking up points in the Premier League, right? Like they have a good Premier League record. Tottenham, I'm really impressed by. I don't think that Villa are much better than Tottenham. I certainly don't think Villa have a better squad than Tottenham do. I know Tottenham have a thin squad, but like Tottenham at full strength. They have a great squad, like easily as good as Villa's. City are obviously better than Aston Villa. Sorry, like that's just a thing. Newcastle, you guys, I, I know the the points wise, you're not honestly not that close to them, but I think you're better than them. How dare you? And what? But yeah, but you're not. You're not, mate. I mean, you are obviously only six points away, but do you, you know what I mean. Like you know, it's like they have they have daylight. Like you you know, like especially if you don't win tomorrow. Um, but. Yeah, so, so, so that's what I'm saying. I think Newcastle are, 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 are as good as Villa. Um, so, yeah, I don't see them staying up there. Would I love to see it? Yeah, I would. But I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with that Leicester City-like link. I think it, it really screams at that to me. Yeah. yeah. It, we are still barely a third of the... Barely yeah, over exactly. a third of It's the early days, gone. man. Yeah. Last yeah. season, Man City were 
eight points behind Arsenal at one point. Eight points. And they still comfortably won the league. This is the time of year where people get carried away. They get carried away, whether it's up in the, in the, in the Champions League places or it's down in the bottom. You know, like nobody is out of anything yet. So much can change. Hell, even Chelsea, even Chelsea could turn it around and creep up toward like a respectable finish. So let's hold our horses, everyone. Okay. Yeah, very fair. Yeah. Um, how about you take us somewhere else then? Any yeah, matches? We've been running. Feel? We've been yeah. This has been a bumper one. Um, I think we have to mention Liverpool Fulham because Ugh. holy shit, four three. Um, I don't know, Blake. You made a ugh sound. I understand. Um, you hate Fulham. You hate Liverpool. But my question to you is: Is this the most likable? the Liverpool team have been since their trophy success. Like their Champions League, Premier League wins back in a few years ago. Uh, That's a good question, I suppose. Thank you. I said I suppose. Uh, Yeah, well, I'll take what I can get. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just looking at the lineup, right? But... Look at that like midfield. Darwin, how tasty Darwin that midfield Nunez is. Is one of like the least likable players in the Prem. I was and, actually looking forward to know, it. Luis Diaz know, until recently, you know, like obviously what happened to his father was you know disgusting and horrible. Yeah, but uh, before that, he was a bit of a you know prissy, dirty player. Um, yeah. and you know, Gravenberch is this kid who seems to have attitude issues, which is the reason really? why Bayern gave up on him. Oh. There has to be some reason they gave up on him. I think um, it, I thought it just he, didn't work. He, can't go, he was the Jude Bellingham. That's true. Jude Bellingham in terms of hype. And, you know, he plays 35 times for Bayern and Bayern say, okay, we're, we're sick of you. Yeah, but he's been um, great for Liverpool and not a whisper yeah, of, sure. of problems. But... In terms of likability, um, sure. you know, I think there might be something there. Alexis McAllister, I've always had my beef with him. Um, you haven't been. Jabajalai, yeah, he's nice. One of the most beautiful players in the Premier League. Yeah, I was just going to say. Trent is a wanker. Um, yeah, you hate unless Trent. You are a pregnant woman, you know, he doesn't have time for you. Joel Metip is likable. He just, he just got an ACL. Isn't that so sad? Yeah. That yeah, but especially since he's kind of been the worst player on a good team all his career, and he's finally yeah. kind of like an okay player on a good team. Yeah, um, for a while there, he was better than Van Dyke. Yeah, last season Van Dyke's um, good again. Yeah, he is. Can I Simicast just say he's one of the ugliest players? So I automatically you... dislike him. <laughs> so, um, it, but the thing is, I always hate Liverpool. So yeah, I know you do. So I mean, I'm, this I'm is... not taking you very seriously at this point. To be fair. But um, obviously, I am Blake. I respect you and your opinions. Um, you mentioned Sobislai is, you know, a devilishly handsome man. Child, well, he's twenty three, so he's not a child. But uh, can I just say, and I didn't realize it, Darwin Nunes, the must, the the facial hair he could get rid of. But wow, he is like quite beautiful. 
Did you just just look at him like with the with the plaits? We call them plaits. You, you guys call them braids. The braids that he had on, he look he's looking good. I'm I was I was, it, I did a double take. I really did. I was like, wow. He's, just, he's so greasy looking. You think he's that's greasy looking? Thing. I see. That's like what I thought looking. too. But he's so. I mean, I don't know, man. I he was, yeah. He's good surprised. looking in like a dirt bag kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe it, it was some. It was something about. It was something about it where I was. I hadn't seen it before, and I was like, "Oh, interesting." Um, still horrible, horrible goatee mustache combination, though. I don't know what the hell he's yeah. putting out there. So, um, but you know, on the yeah, on the game itself, uh, I think, I think the the real standout from this game is just the goals. Jurgen Klopp said, I mean, he's one for hyperbole, but he said, I've never seen a game with so many beautiful goals. Um, I'm sure he probably has because he's been managing for like 18 years. But wow, like some of these goals were just absolutely incredible. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, technically it's a burnt Leno on goal because it comes off his back. But what a free kick. I mean, that's Messi-esque type of free kick, that for me. And um, the McAllister goal, is like I'm a sucker for like a half volley situation, but I mean just extraordinary that goal. Um, I wonder if Bernd Leno's injury to his eye might have done something to his depth perception because yeah, it is that, really, really far funny. out. But but I mean wow what a goal just what a goal and then Trent Alexander Arnold obviously popping up you know with the winner in the 88th minute and. Then him sort of saying, "I'll play wherever, wherever I'm best," which is a definite shout to uh, to Gareth Southgate. Um, imagine like Trent alongside Declan Rice and uh, Bellingham, you know, in a like attacking eight position. How crazy that would be! It would be like no Declan Rice would be the only guy who could defend, but it would still be fun. Um, and then I just before you hop in, I wanted to shout out Watara Endo. Um, Stuttgart legend. He's definitely a like. You can't hate Wataru Endo, surely. Yeah, surely. No. Okay. Um. Yeah. Just like you know, really underwhelmed Liverpool fans when they bought him, but looked like a really canny signing for them, and sort of like a player who will do this for them. And and honestly, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but he's the type of player that if and when Liverpool win a trophy like the Premier League or the Champions League it'll be people will be like ah you know he'll be the i don't even know the obviously not the ngolo kante because he's too good ngolo kante was obviously too good um for that but it's that kind of player where people point to him and be like ah he's the humble you know humble player who just sort of does what he needs to do and gets the job done kind of thing um the unsung hero i suppose yeah, um, yeah. This yeah, stereotypical Japanese yeah. player. Very stereotypical. Yeah, very very stereotypical because you know, yeah, yeah. Or on a yeah, on. Um, yeah. You know, every good team needs players who are willing to sit on the bench week in week out. So, um, and sure. you know, those players are slightly substandard, but you just got just have to get you like six out of tens. You know, yeah. or seven out of tens. Yeah. Um. So, 
Yeah, I agree. He's the type of player that will probably stick around for a few years and just be that like super consistent yeah, and then... number six. Um, especially since we live in a world of, you know, very few real number sixes. So yeah, um, they sort of don't exist because they all end up being eights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if all your sixes are eights, what are your all natural eights? You know, all of a sudden there are your what used to I be a know. ten, and you know now yeah. your tens are wingers, and your your wingers are inside forwards. It's and just your, all yeah. gone crazy. Yeah, bring back four four two. Bring, bring back, back traditional four, four, roles. Two. Um, um, okay, let's. I we we kind of need to wrap. I, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. let's let's wrap talking about tomorrow's fixtures. Um, okay, because I think it's a pretty for all four of these teams. It's like a critical time of the season and a critical match. Um. That will kind of define, you know, what they can or cannot be this season. Not to be true, <laughs> melodramatic, but, sure. um, you know, like all these teams have a lot riding on this match. Yeah. Um, Everton can get themselves out of the relegation zone, right? Yeah. If yeah, they win, I, they... Yeah, yep. they are 10 points, right? Yep. Yep, they hop Luton. Newcastle will go up to fifth um, with big, a win. Yeah. It's very big. Tottenham can go up to fourth, I think. Tottenham, um, this is a big match. I think Tottenham will turn us aside. Uh, and I know I say this all the time, but we just have not been good. Uh, yeah. Recently. Well, you say that, you know, you're in ninth place. Yeah, but um, uh, some people are saying that our game against Palace was one of the worst games of the 2020s, like in the Premier League, like reminiscent wow. of COVID games, um, you know. So that's yeah, there's okay. nothing. Nothing was worse than COVID football. Apparently, this one might have been. Um, I haven't even watched the highlights. I watched a little bit of it. I saw the Kudus goal, and then I had to do something else. With just on, yeah, no, I sorry, I didn't mean to cut off what was a a good train of thought. Uh, I agree with you. There's a lot riding on these games, um, and uh, and I think that uh, yeah, I'll, I'm I'm almost I almost thought oh maybe we should just like do. Do a pod tomorrow because you know both our teams are playing, but it'll be it'll be good to talk about them on the on the next pod on the weekend. Um, I would be a little bit nervous if I was a Newcastle fan. How are you feeling about this? Because you're away from home, you've got a a squad, and Everton are resurgent. So, to lay the groundwork, Everton Newcastle has been a sort of rivalry match um you know i don't know what this derby would be called but uh you know both sets of fans absolutely hate each other um and the matches are normally super hard fought and there's usually a red card or two um and except for last year at goodison when Newcastle absolutely thrashed Everton with one of the sexiest goals ever. Yeah. Uh, the Isaac goal or the Isaac assist to Jacob Murphy. Um, but for the last three years, Everton have certainly been one of the toughest matches for Newcastle. Um, so yeah, I certainly agree. 
there is a lot riding on this match and it's definitely has the potential to be a banana banana peel um but my counterpoint would be you know this red bear squad you know handled psg handled man u dominated chelsea um and we just have players who are returning and returning and returning so yeah, no, it's true. You we're only getting healthier. It's hard to get any un more unhealthy. Yeah, well, I mean, on this uh, point, it's Frank and Boswell. Um, no, no, that's a good point. I just think, I, I, I said it before the PSG match a couple of pods ago, and I kind of want to stick by it. Where I'm like, you know, at some point, it just like can't keep going like this. But you've been defying it so far, so I just want to predict on my team's end. The only way we get points of, out of this is some sort of Thomas Socek 90th minute goal, right? Um, and also, my strong prediction is Lachelso will score for a third game in a row against us. It's going to happen. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think this might be might be a draw, but I have a hard time seeing it as a West Ham win. I will um, take a draw 100%, because Tottenham have been really good at home too. So... Yeah. Um yeah, I you know, cometh the hour, cometh the man, Thomas Sochek will get yeah. Uh, an eighty yeah. seventh minute equalizer, equalizer for a one one. Yeah, I can see that happening. Although I mean we are a very good counter attacking side. And so, you know I would be curious to see how that happens with Tottenham's high line. Um I wonder if Ange Postacoglu will maybe fall into the trap. That a lot of big sides fell into, like eighteen months, two years ago under Moyes, um, where they just kind of, yeah, we're just like an excellent counterattacking side, and so, yeah, I, I could see us getting goals like that, um, especially if Jared Bowen is fit. It's actually, I will say, a shame that Antonio is out, because this feels yeah, like a really good Antonio game. Yeah, he's a big time player. So he's, yeah, he's a player. That's <laughs> Um yeah. Okay. So yeah. 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 Um oh I guess also since we forgot to mention it, um congratulations, West Ham, on narrowly defeating Bachkatopola one yeah. in Europe. Um, guess who scored? Uh Tom Suchek. Yeah. Yeah. Dude is uh dude is inevitable. Apparently, incoming sixty-five million pound transfer to Manchester United. Chelsea, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, to Chelsea, sure. God. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Thomas Suchek just like scribbles over his passport date of birth, makes himself like born in two thousand four. Five. Yeah. Chelsea. He's he's eighteen. Yeah. 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 What is the nature of Jared Bowen's injury? Uh, I think he has had some back problems but he's fine for yeah it's either for, back uh, or hamstring from carrying west ham yeah. dude eight goals and 13 talk about 65 million pound bids i'm pretty sure if he keeps this up teams will be sniffing around him in the summer and it will be more devastating i'm ending this pod with a hot take it'll be more devastating for us to lose jared bowen than it was for us to lose Declan rice emotionally or Tactic on the pitch, not emotionally, probably just because Rice is a you know, obviously a 
a youth Bella. kid. How dare you? Um, oh my god, it makes me sick how good Jeroboam is. So I'm just going to stop thinking about it because then I'll get sad. Very fair. Uh, in the me, I'm guessing we had no emails. No emails, sadly. Well, in the meanwhile, if you want to, feel free to send us an email. We yeah. will answer it on the pod. Yeah. Uh, leave us a rating and review. Follow yeah. us on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, follow the pod. Uh, and until next time, take care. Bye. I'm standing. <laughs>